about words about music i'm chris wade and i'm molly o'brien and introducing on trumpet it's mr louis armstrong one of the most influential and longest reigning jazz men louis was instrumental that instrument being trumpet in taking (laughs) jazz mainstream and in doing so became one of the most iconic american musicians of the 20th century and today we'll be learning all about his life well his early years through his book satchmo my life in New Orleans. Hell yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, hope to, I hope to one day have a life varied and um, interesting enough that I can divide it in two chapters as like my New Orleans life, my New York life. Oh, yeah. I mean, are you going to like move somewhere soon or like yeah, you, could, you, you could go somewhere just like a year, like Airbnb a place and be like my Missouri times. My Ithaca days. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's beautiful up there. <laughs> it's really nice in the fall. We're here in... Omaha. <laughs> Here we are. Um, yeah, Make yeah, some it's memories. Chill. It's definitely chill to have different eras of life. Yes. Before we get started, uh, you wanted to touch in on something uh, in pop culture music this week? Yeah, I do. Which is just that the VMAs happened on a Monday night. Yes. Which is cool and normal and definitely a way to get people to notice and, and care. Um, I notice and care about the most things on Monday nights, but... Um, God, this I do when I'm primed for pop culture extravaganzas. Yeah. And what uh, was Madison Square Garden rented out on Sunday? <laughs> I actually think it was. What, really? Was it for ELO? No, they did Tuesday and I think tonight. Ah, so no, no yeah. VMA last ELO night, conflict last night. SoundCloud rappers and Lil, uh, and Cardi B tonight. Electric Light Orchestra. <laughs> It's fine. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. This is the first VMAs in a long time that I didn't watch because we we cut that cut that cord. Yes, we cut did cut that the cord. cable cord. Um, but it sounded like it sucked and was really bad. And I was looking at the red carpet pictures and just feeling um, just feeling kind of like a little sad and sorry for everyone. But I do want to call out um, yeah. our bud uh, Rob Sheffield wrote a little recap for uh, Rolling Stone, and uh, I just I found this particular musical text a bit poignant, and I'd like to like to share it um no uh, no drake no b and j no tay no adele no rihanna no kendrick or childish gambino or lord or share no nick and priyanka instead this year's vma ceremony was full of existential questions like has anyone ever sucked at anything like dj khaled what precisely does he suck at what measure of entertainment is he trying and failing to reach? What would a successful DJ Khaled endeavor resemble? Will we ever know how his music sounds in his dreams? Or will we merely continue to behold the awe-inspiring shitness of his award show cameos? Uh, if you were imprisoned in a cave in which music was unknown, and the only sound was the whisper of winter winds as the dust rustles against the bare stone walls, would DJ Khaled grunting, standing ovation, compute as some sort of pleasurable respite from the emptiness? <laughs> <laughs> or is it possible that the death rattle of the wind would be side two of Spirit in the Dark by comparison? <laughs> That's a really good analysis of DJ Khaled and what he does and does yes. not do. Absolutely. How can you suck at something when you don't know what yes, something when it, is? When the product when the product is as ephemeral as a uh, you know wind through the bleachers. Yeah, my God. 
Yes, that is a, an excellent paragraph about the the eternal nothingness of DJ Khaled. It sounds like it was a pretty rough, rough ceremony. Yes. Um, in comparison to the olden days in which Britney, you know, did things, for example. Yeah, well, I think the thing, what was the one that DJ Khaled hosted? Was that last year that he was the host? Yeah, I think it was the last year. When it really was just like ago. it came in from commercials and it was like, there's DJ Khaled. And then when it like transitioned to commercials, it was like, well, here's DJ Khaled again. Yeah. Where it's like, for some reason, he has achieved this position where he is like the indication of fun without fun actually being had. Yes. So it's like MTV being like, we don't know how to appeal to the demographic that we want the VMAs to appeal to, mm-hmm. but we want it to indicate a fun, good pop music time. Yeah. And so we have introduced DJ Khaled into this. It's almost, he's sort of what yeah. happens when like Carrot Top stops being viable. Yeah. He's more he's more host than man. Yes. he he Yes. He is not fun. But he indicates fun. He indicates fun. He is yes. He is a, a, a fun substitution. You look a at him. of fun. You look at him and you're like, I should be feeling good right now. That's what it looks like when people are having a good time. Yes. But is this a good time? He was the one who, uh, in Beachella performance, was the one who said, like, we should call it Beachella. That was <laughs> that was the, like. Did she ask him to do that? Did or that was, was that, that a message he had left forced upon yes. her? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, let's talk about someone way more talented. Yeah. Let's talk about someone who played at a at a number of events that I'm sure were actually fun. Actually fun. Yes. I imagine mo- most times that uh, Louis Armstrong played uh, his horns, um, that it was a rollicking good time. Especially uh, in the era that I believe that we are going to cover in this uh, in this book. Um, before he did a bunch of like black tie events for politely clapping white people. Yes, this was this ends around the time that he might have been starting, starting to, to do, do that. Those, those kinds of things. Yeah, um, but we can definitely definitely get into that. Do you do you have any feelings about Louis Armstrong? I knowledge? mean, that's an interesting question because he is so firmly ingrained in the um, texture of 20th century American pop culture mm-hmm. that it's kind of hard to ask how you feel about him. It's kind of like asking how you feel about the national anthem. Although yeah. I will go on the record to say the national anthem fucking sucks and we should get a new one. Does not slap. Does not slap. National anthem doesn't even slap. There are garbage. Im- imagine dragon songs that go way harder. And that is oh, the f- a fucking burn of a lifetime yeah. on that fucking piece of shit uh, national anthem. Yeah. But- I spit on you national anthem. Patoo. So maybe that's not what I meant. But you know, it's it's kind of like how you feel about uh, any song you could name as a five-year-old. Yeah, like you know? a stand- standards. Yeah, standards. That's, you just know them. They're just standard. And you don't really think about them. Yeah. Like, what a wonderful world. Eh. I, 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 I guess it's good. His voice is really unique. I enjoy hearing his voice. I certainly enjoy, I mean, this is going to sound like kind of a slam since following what we just said about DJ Khaled, but uh, uh, I enjoy the indication of music that his like trumpet sounds do. Yeah. yeah, it indicates jazz, and I think jazz is in general good. Yeah, I bet many people's first like association mm-hmm. of like what jazz is is basically like you hear it in your head, and, you're, and you, what you hear is Louis Armstrong. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like air or beer. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah, before you know what or here, before you can recognize different types of beer because you've drank enough of it to know what you like, you you just are like, oh, that's beer. But that's yeah. like what Louis Armstrong is when you first are learning about jazz. So like, what what was you, what was like the Louis Armstrong of beer to you? Like when you thought of beer, like what kind of beer was it? Uh, I mean, probably old style because that's the first beer that I would be drinking in large quantities. Ah, 
I think for me it was like Molson or Labatt. My dad had a taste for the Canadian, uh, yeah, the Canadian lagers. Well, these are belie our our uh, young adult regionalism since you uh, were close to Canada and yeah. I was in Chicago. <laughs> and that is and that and is that from is, whence we got our and beer. that is where we got our beer taste from. Yeah, um, I honestly like in my head like he's. Louis Armstrong as a concept is so ingrained that I almost like, I was like, did I see him on Sesame Street? Like he's that level of like, did, did you, that couldn't be possible. I just Googled it. And the answer is, um, I think no, but I'm sure some monster like <laughs> pretended to <or> like <laughs> some horrible felt monster sang the way he did, yeah. in a, you know, coming that from a like stupor trash can. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's, let's talk about Louis. Oh, I will shout out one Louis Armstrong moment that I am yes actually a fan of yes which is his, the use of his uh wonderful world uh at the beginning of fear and loathing in las vegas to a very mm-hmm. uh ironic uh a tone tonal clashes as it's played over uh clips of unrest in the late 60s and vietnam war violence that's pretty uh that's pretty sweet it's good it's a good opening sequence nice i mean do you ever think to yourself oh, what a wonderful world no <laughs> I, Absol- absolutely absolutely i not. do but after it's after like several several about blues yes. at least <laughs> um 24 uh let's let's talk about mr louis mr armstrong uh mr armstrong so close and w- i just i looked up and it 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 sounds like everyone called him louis although there are recordings of him pronouncing his own name as louis um including a 1964 uh, record of hello dolly he says he sings. This is Louis Dolly, <laughs> but everyone else called him Louis. So I don't. I, I think I think it's allegedly Louis. Allegedly Louis. Allegedly Louis. This this uh, Thursday on Fox, a new episode <laughs> of Allegedly Louis. Um, toward the beginning of the book, he he's kind of describing where he is in life now, and he says, "As at fifty four, I feel like a young man just out of school and eager to go into the world to really live my life with my horn." <laughs> Isn't that so cute? Just hitting the road, me and my horn. Just him and his horn. That's it's really them against the world. Um, so he was born. His horn is his sword. His horn is his sword. Truly, truly. Um, he uh, he was born on August fourth, nineteen oh one. Even that's that's his official birthday. For some reason, in the book and in life, he tells people that he was born in nineteen hundred. I guess okay. it sounds cooler. I mean, it's easier to count from when you're trying to remember how old you are. That's true. Um, so he's 55 when he's, re- or it's 1955 when he's writing this book. Yes, okay, yes. Okay, great. Which probably makes it the oldest memoir we've covered so I far. think it's definitely the oldest um, by far. Great. So he, uh, he was born and grew up in New Orleans. Um, he said, in one block between Gravier and Perdido streets, more people were crowded than you ever saw in your life. There were church people, gamblers, hustlers, cheap pimps, thieves, prostitutes, and lots of children. <laughs> This is where, this is where good, he's coming from. Good place from. to raise a kid. And he says, whether my mother did any hustling, I cannot say. So he, like it's his a very mom, demure way of, of talking around that issue. Yeah. He, he, was basically, he was very insistent on saying that his mother was respected by everyone. <laughs> and everyone had nothing but nice things to say about his mom. Thank when you, you grew much. up on that one crowded block, the only currency was respect. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about respect. We yes. talked about 50 Cent. Yes. Um, Some things never change. Yes. So he was raised uh, primarily by his grandmother, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said his father was basically out of the picture. He said, my father did not have time to teach me anything. He was too busy chasing chippies. Um, <laughs> I can only imagine what that is. Yeah. He has a certain priority in life. 
And also um, from the time he's a kid, Jim Crow laws are basically like an integral part of his life. Right. Um, so he's locked out of most things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Seg- like hella segregation. He said, um, there's something funny about the for colored passengers only signs on the streetcars. We colored folks used to get real kicks out of them when we got on a car at the picnic grounds on a Sunday evening when we outnumbered the white folks. <laughs> so he's like, he's aware of this tension. Right. He doesn't really delve into that and we'll get into a little bit later but it's it's something I mean, that I obviously can, god i can only imagine as he's see he says holding it humorously in his head like just the dark bitter almost comical irony of just like a huge train car packed full of mm-hmm. like black picnickers and like two white people yeah. taking up all the space i must that must have felt amazing honestly yeah but like in a f- fucked up way yeah why should it feel especially amazing because yeah. you're sent to the back of the bus at any other time right the streetcar or whatever it was um he, he so he's kind of like coddled a little bit by his grandma and he's taught to have really nice manners like mm-hmm. he said he mentioned several times in the books that he's he's not considered a sassy child <laughs> um so i think it, it's oh, it heaven sounds forbid like <laughs> he be a sassy child he was not he was very well behaved um, he remembers the first time he goes out to like go shopping um, mm-hmm. without supervision and there's a kid named uh, One-Eyed Bud who throws mud at his nice white suit. <laughs> and he he runs into these sort of street toughs and he said, I said hello to them very pleasantly. One That guy, One-Eyed Bud with the mud has too many nicknames. <laughs> his He has an early experience with music. Um, he hears Buddy Bolden play at the Funky Butt Hall. <laughs> It's like you think that you would make up things that are like jokes of this era, but then they're just the things. It's, no, those are, yeah, exactly. They the are funky just butt the hall. things. Yep. Um, uh, he, I I knew about Buddy Bolden. I'd heard about Buddy Bolden. He was basically um, a very talented horn hornman who kind of went crazy. Oh, yeah? Um, from like alcoholic psychosis more or less um and so he went from being a very very early buddy figure Bolden, of jazz. the mad the mad hornman of new new orleans yes he he like shaped what ragtime into jazz yeah, yeah. but he was like buried in an unmarked grave wow. so he's like and louis armstrong saw him when he was a kid wow he his opinion of buddy Bolden, he said i think he blew too hard <laughs> too much passion and louis would know a little a little too much toot in the horn um Louis says that uh, when he's a kid, the king of all musicians was Joe Oliver, the finest trumpeter who ever played in New Orleans. So Joe Oliver becomes this sort of like mentor yeah. throughout his his early life. His horn father. Yeah. His, <laughs> yes. His horn daddy. Yes. Um, he, 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 music is basically everywhere because like live music is everywhere. Um, he, even like funerals in right. New Orleans, like people, he says I, like. I've he, heard that they do this in New Orleans. Yeah. What with the bands at the funerals. <laughs> and s- second lining, mm-hmm. which is like when you walk behind the bands and just kind of like. Could you imagine if that was like a thing in like white people culture where, but it would be like going to a funeral in the suburbs and like four uh, guys with greasy hair playing like a Counting Crows song trailing behind the the funeral. <laughs> just like a, a really long dirge like cover of Mr. Jones. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Jones and me. I feel like the closest thing you could do is like have a sort of like metal Viking funeral yeah, yeah. where you played like Pantera or something. Yeah. Um, where you put you get the metal band, you put them on the raft with the body, mm-hmm. you kick them out so they float out into the lake and set it all on fire and they all sink in. Yeah. 
Yeah. You have one big barge with a body and then you have like four to five individual Bar- kayaks. Yeah, with all the that, people. With everyone in it. And then they, at yeah. the appropriate moment, yes. un- unmoor themselves. Um, yeah, that's There is good. something like mournful and lilting to the even the upbeat styles of New Orleans jazz that does make it seem funeral appropriate in in a tonal way yeah remember marilyn manson has a like affinity for new orleans and he just he basically I would, said i like, would love somebody to just be blasting beautiful people as they lower my casket into the grave you, you die a die a pretty corpse or whatever yes. that is <laughs> die a beautiful people um he marilyn manson has like a weird thing about new orleans where he's just like it mm-hmm. made it made him like nuts it was he I think I remember him saying it was just like the air was haunted and electric. Yeah, you, and you so there's some, something so in there about music and all death. that haunted air. Yeah, you get ghost asthma. Smoke. Yes, <laughs> you probably got ghost asthma from smoking someone's bones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Louis does not. He does not do that. It's not what he's into. Um, so he, yeah, he develops his early ear for music um, for stuff like funeral parades and fun parades. Also, mm-hmm. um, they don't always have to just be for funerals. The way he actually learns how to play the trumpet, you know. Anything about this? I feel like this is a story that I had been told once before, but I uh, have since forgot. But maybe as soon as you start talking, I'll remember it. He, it's uh, traditional and common for the time between Christmas and New Year's for people in his neighborhood to fire guns in the air <laughs> in just celebration. At any time? Yeah, just like, you know, out and about partying yeah fire gun into the air. Yeah, I had no an harm, uncle no once who uh, told me that his dream was to own a bar with, quote, a place out back to shoot. Uh, not a shooting range, not a target range or anything, just a wide open space where you can kind of shoot. Yeah. Just uh, to So this sounds like that. Yeah, kind of like that. Just, just the busy streets of New Orleans. Um, Louis gets his hands on a pistol, a thirty-eight pistol. He fires it in the air on New Year's Eve, and he gets sent to child jail. This is called the Waif's Home. The Waif, yeah, The Waif's Home. Which also sounds like a uh, de- uh, December song. Surely, surely it does. Um, he he gets sent there for an indefinite period of time. <laughs> oh, my God. He's sent, the judge sentences him to... Whatever. I don't know, until you feel like you've mm-hmm. fixed yourself. <laughs> until you've really thought about it. He's... Um, child jail. The child Waif's Home. Yeah. Side B of The Rake's Demise. He was, uh, he was 11 or 12. So he goes to the Waif's home. A lot of other kids there. Uh, he is there for six months before he gets the opportunity to play with the Waif's home brass band. Okay. <laughs> because if you have a child jail. You also need a brass band. You also need a brass well, band. Well, what are you going to have those kids doing all day? Exactly. Just um, just sitting around. He, The brass band plays like picnics and parades. It's kind of like, you know, I think we just talked about how um, inmates in California are fighting fires for yes, cents on the dollar. I was just thinking about this. It, this is kind of like the they'll chi- get the, hired out. The child inmates, we've come a long way from child inmates being party ready brass bands to child inmates being forced to fight fires Jesus in California. Christ. He said, and he says that they had a blast. Like they <laughs> loved it. He said one time they, they paraded for 25 miles to get to where they needed to ultimately were go. Were they playing the entire time? Uh, I think they were playing most of the time. Think of how sad that band would sound after They might have sounded awesome. Um, he also gets to be the bugler, for the official bugler for the Waves Home. He said, I would stand very erect as I would put the bugle nonchalantly to my lips and blow <laughs> real mellow tones. That, so he's honing his craft. He sounds like a champ. He was at the home for three years. 
for, for, for shooting a gun once. For shooting a gun once in the air. Great, excellent, amazing system. Love so it. I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, at least he got a lot of time to bugle. As much time as look, you I'm wanted. not saying this to justify it, but it paid off. He, the, so there's a weird thing in this book, and it's a, a things that normal people might consider suffering. He's like, it was great. I loved it. I love my time with Peter I'm Stone. wondering how much that would be about like the time it was written and the kind of figure that he would be in pop culture that he would feel compelled to like spin yeah. kind of suffering and oppression as uh uh no, these are good things that made me better in the way I am and I'm great. I, I am humbly a great man. Right. Because I like <laughs> what had these things mm-hmm. that should be like oppressive injustices, but we're really opportunities to learn to bugle. Right, exactly. Spinning it as yeah. a, um, a, a, like a redemption narrative almost. Yeah, or like, like a, a kind of like uh, a ragged dick style, uh, um, rags to riches, type, mm-hmm. like American good old fashioned. Right. It only you know, made just me like, stronger. Just like how, how, how all Americans get thrown in indefinite detention for three years and come out uh, world-class musicians. Yeah, that's, it's nor it's the American dream. Really. It is the American dream. Yeah. Um, I just want to sidebar that. Well, he so he get, he finally gets out of child jail, and he gets a job playing the horn. Not a full time job, part time job playing horn at a honky tonk, uh, working for a man named Henry Ponce. Uh, he <laughs> All also these names are great. Yeah, um, Henry's like a fr- like a Frenchman, Louisiana man. Yeah. They, I mean, they are, we're kind of in the mode where I know they're all Louisiana, but I'm kind of getting like a Louisiana Dickens vibe. Yes, it's this whole story is very Dickensian. Mm-hmm. It's very like you know picaresque in yeah, each yeah. incident. You know, oh, I'm I got out of that by the seat of my pants. Yeah, and on he's to like the a next. he's like a little hapless, but like yeah. yeah, it's beautifully written though. I I really liked. I enjoyed reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can do the book review at the at the yeah. end. Yeah, he so he works at the honky tonk. Honky tonks are a thing. They're like kind of seem to operate on the borders of legality. Yeah. Now, it's, was this a honky tonk or was it a gin joint? I he calls it a honky tonk. All is right. there a difference? Now, is that a saloon? Or saloon is it, saloons he mentions, and I don't know if he mentions them interchangeably. Yeah, I don't know if there's a qualitative difference between these things. Mm-hmm. I do want to know what uh what what defines a honky tonk, yeah. other than there being a piano with that specific tone. It sounds like there's there's live music, there's drinking, and there's the possibility of purchasing sex if you would like to. It's not he never. Yeah. I think he's made say brothel a few times, but like. It's these sort of gray area public yeah. public houses. A, pub, a public house. Yes. Whom's among us does not enjoy a public house. My favorite kind. Um, he also, he gets the job of driving a coal cart. And he says, he unsurprisingly, he's a 15-year-old boy fresh out of jail. Right. Does he love driving the coal cart? Yes. Yes. <laughs> he fucking loves that shit. He said, I felt like a real man when I shoveled a ton of coal into my wagon. Gee, I really thought I was somebody then. Oh, my God. All like give Louis a horn in one hand and a coal shovel in the other, and he's living, <laughs> living. Also, I want to share that he um he loves <laughs> he's. I learned something new when I read this book. He talks about how his mother taught him, or his grandmother taught him to get a physic every week. Do you know what a physic is? Uh, is it like a phosphate? It's like you take a laxative. Basically. Oh, okay, okay. It's a, it's like a clearing out of the mm-hmm. phosphate, <laughs> like a cherry phosphate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, it's like that, but it makes shit. Okay. <laughs> he 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 mentioned physics like five times, and in my head, I was like, is that like an enema? Like, <laughs> or does that mean like just making yourself like people puke? had weird ideas about the human ass at this time. 
They sure did. When was Kellogg? That was like in the late 19th century. Late like 19th like century. 1800s. So we basically, we're just coming off of the era where people realized that eating nothing but salted beef all day would ruin your bowels. Yes. And that, uh, you know, shoving yogurt up your ass would help you stop masturbating. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, it's weird times over well, I here. guess we're, we're evolving slightly. We're evolving slightly. Um, we're take we're taking, you know, it's like, it's like the flat tummy tea of, of today. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yes. Louis Armstrong approves. <laughs> Um, he, he, he says he's a healthy, he's a healthy guy and it's because he, he, he takes a physic every week. Like his mama told him to his entire life, his entire life. It's just so much anal stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. Too much. Not good. Just enough for, for him. I think, um, another moneymaker I should say is he also does a thing where he, he and his like friends and associates and family go dumpster diving at restaurants. Mm Mm-hmm take just shy of spoiled food that has been thrown out, yeah. go home, cook it, dress it up, put it in a basket, and sell it back to the restaurant. Hell yeah. That is... That is a great scam. Really good scam. So this is, he's has yeah. a zillion odd jobs. Uh, so uh, you guys looking for some new, some new dishes? What we have here, I like to call this uh, 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 bite mark steak tartare. <laughs> Yeah, no, the bite mark. It's it's we put that there. It's it's a kind of demonstration of what it'll look like when you're yeah. having a good time eating it. You know, you know, a moose bouche. The bouche has already amused itself. The, yeah, that's the way your customers will know that it's already good. Yes, yeah, it's a it's, it's super amusing. Yeah. Um, he, so he's like earning money, kind of all over the place, making a living. Like obviously, like everyone where he lives is super poor. Um, he. Because he wants to be able to play his horn, mm-hmm. he's got to subsidize. He's got that side hustle going on. Or like, does he? This might sound like very, maybe even too like uh, misunderstanding of how poor he is. But does he like have a, his own instrument? Well, the only reason he even has one is because um, King Oliver gives him a, or King Joe Oliver, I should say, gi- eventually gives him an old cornet. Ah. Um, but I think for a while he was hornless after he got out of jail. Oh yeah. So jail might have been an improvement. When he was he horn- hornless, Lou, hornless Lou Armstrong. Hornless Louis Armstrong. Um, he he said so. He he's he's aware of prostitutes. He spends a lot of time around them um, when he's playing his horn uh, at the honky tonks. But yeah, he says he, he and his friends did not think too much about sex. We wanted to learn all we could about life, but mostly we were interested in music. So at this point, he just wants to play his horn. He's right. not horny. Yes. <laughs> um, sorry, uh, he's hornful, not horny. He's horn. He's hornful. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, he he has a lot of like crazy stories to share about just spending time at the honky tonks. I'll just share one, which was what he described as one of the bloodiest knife fights he's ever seen between two women. Okay, <laughs> so these two women, there's Deborah and there's Mary Jack. Mary Jack is a little bit older, like she's a prostitute. She's been around the block. Yeah, Deborah is Do like. Do you think at the time they were like? Do you- you mean Mary Joe? No, no, no. Mary Jack. Mary Jack. Um, Deborah is like a little younger, a little more innocent, a little like fresher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they share the same pimp. Um, they are out together at the honky tonk, or they were out separately, but together at the honky tonk one night. And um, Mary Jack is the older one, and she's kind of like starts teasing the younger one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're kind of going at it. And Mary Jack says to her, she says, "Don't let those those pretty looks fool you. I'll mess them up plenty." Um, she says to Deborah. And uh, Deborah said, he told me, her pimp, he told me he was through with you. I, she said tamely, I guess it's your hustling money he gives me. 
So shit's going down between these two ladies. Um, they grabbed each other and started waltzing and tussling around the floor until they were separated. Bitch, and Mary one, Jack two, said. Three, tussle one, one, two, three, tussle one, <laughs> one, two, three, tussle one. Yeah, the old the waltz of the, the yeah. waltz of the fighting ladies. Uh, bitch, Mary Jack says, I'll wait for you outside. Okay, bitch, the timid little Deborah said. <laughs> so this poor Deborah is like terrified. Like looking around being like, okay, bitch. Okay, bitch. Do I, am I doing this right? Is I'll see you out there. Um, and then they go outside and they have a knife fight that's so bad that one of them dies and the other one is scarred horrifically for life. It's just That's horrifying, but also just like bad. Why would you get in a knife fight if you were a pro? Like, why would you declare a knife fight? There were a were... lot of knife fights. There were many, many knife fights. You just gotta, well, I you guess gotta do what you gotta knife do. Knife fights is better than gunfights. It goes back to respect. It does go back to respect. He insulted her and her line of work and yes. her and the, the man that she thought she had to herself. So, and Louis sees all of this and he's, you know, he's just playing, he just wants he's to play his go, horn. I'm, I'm just gonna horn for a little bit. Um, he actually ends up being a pimp to a girl of his own. Oh, God. Which I feel like people think of. It's a very dark, dark side of his uh, life that I was not aware of. Well, he was basically just like, oh, everyone else is doing it, and mm-hmm. it seems to earn some, like, modicum of money, so I, I might as well just do it. He said that his girl was not much to look at, but she made good money. No. Um, yeah, but one night she wants to sleep with him and he refuses her advances and she stabs him in the shoulder. <laughs> well, good for her. Yeah, she's she's not going to take that one lying down. Yeah. Louis comes home bleeding. He his mother, he's still living at home at this point okay, and he's sure. like What is he like 16? Yeah, he's like 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. He goes home, his mother's like, "Why are you bleeding?" and Louis's <laughs> like, "Uh, my prostitute stabbed me." And his mother went goes to the girl's house and began choking her to death. Oh my god. Being like why are you why are you stabbing my son? This is the Things world that he grew escalate up escalate very quickly. It really does. Um death stalks everyone at every turn, um, whether due to violence or um he he refers to dying of tuberculosis as a natural death. <laughs> as in two of my friends later died naturally of TB. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, I guess it basically was. As opposed to getting stabbed um Yeah, by I mean your that, that's like nature. Tuberculosis is like nature's knife in the back. I'm just like now every time I hear what a wonderful world this is like what I'm going to be thinking of this like tuberculosis ridden riddled prostitute stab fest. It's it's hardcore out there. Yeah. And Louis just just trying to just trying to survive and play his horn. Yeah. Um, so because death is everywhere, he plays lots of funerals. (laughs) Um, Well, at least there are plentiful gigs. Yes. Um, So. Joe Oliver, he kind of starts like, you know, treating him as his protege in a way. Um, he gives him his old horn and he's really nice to him. And Louis says, I can never stop loving Joe, loving Joe Oliver. So he's really, he's, he's got nothing he's, but yeah. respect his for saint, his, his patron. Yeah, his patron saint of horn. Um, let's see. Oh, Louis says, I don't want anyone to feel I'm posing as a plaster saint. Like everyone, I have my faults, but I've always believed in making an honest living. I was determined to play my horn against all odds and I had to sacrifice a whole lot of pleasure to do so. Um, he, uh, I uh, d- don't let anybody tell you wrong. I prostituted that girl like a, like any hardworking American would. <laughs> he, he gets another job. Um, so at this point, all the honky tonks basically get shut down by the law. Yeah. Is this a uh, prohibition shit? That would have been like uh 19. A little bit before that, but yeah. I think th- the the long dick of the yeah. law was starting to fuck the these great places. the great honky tonk cr- crackdown. Yeah. 
Um, he still manages to get a job at a honky tonk that was so shitty it didn't even get shut down when all the other that's, ones did. That's the thinking way to do it. That's the that's the galaxy yes, brain. The galaxy brain. Go to play at a bar so shitty the co- even the cops won't bother with it. Um, Louis says one. I really like this line. One thing I always admired about bad men: they all liked good music. <laughs> yes. I. Mm, where's the lie? Yeah. Uh, Joe Oliver, his his buddy. Um, he gets an offer to play in Chicago, and Louie takes his place in the band that he was playing in, which is the band of Kid Ori. Kid Ori. Kid Ori, um, who's like a uh, a French-speaking trombonist. Wow. And band leader. Oh, you select to slide the bar of the trombone. It makes the notes go up and down in the pitch. <laughs> and when I have uh, acquired too much saliva, I shoot it out. Of the spit valve. Of the spit valve. And it uh, makes a very loud noise, but not so loud as the trombone. Uh, I can go blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to listen to some of the tunes? Maybe we can try to pull something up of just like the kind of songs that are being passed from band to band at this in this day. Yes. Um... I am pulling from, this is going to be a little later than this. It's hard. Obviously, it's hard to find uh, reliable recordings of material from, uh, you know, before 1920. But there are some things that are um, labeled Kid Ori that I'm going to have to take it for it. This is a little uh, later. Oh, here we go. Let's see. Kid Ori's Creole trombone. This is 1922. (laughs) I mean, he's just strutting with that trombone there. Yeah. Just straight showing off. I think it's hard for us with our, our modern ears and our uh, yeah. high fidelity head, head, headphones to mm-hmm. um, really feel how full that music might have sounded. Because when you think of like yeah. any five person band of any like size and think about being in the room with them yeah. and thinking about how resonant like live brass music sounds, yes. how much more powerful that that would, that would actually seem live. Right. And also you're like thinking of the settings of like, they're playing in parades, they're moving, people are like out celebrating with them. They're drinking, like mm-hmm. everyone's having a blast. Yes. And then this kind of sounds that has like that, like sort of dusty gramophone feel yeah. um, that I'm sure has nothing to do with the way it actually swung yeah. in the moment here is the panama rag. Panam- the pa- panama rag was one that um he specifically referenced jimmy noon clarinet kid or a trombone kid carry trumpet bud scott guitar brother ed garland on i wish they uh still did this before every recording yeah just name everybody on it yep it's like the original, like, Jason Derulo. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, this cooks. Listen yeah. to this. Yeah. 
This is uh, something that you could cut a rug to. Certainly could. A couple of rugs. It really swings. It's also very intricate. Yeah. You have to be super tight. I feel like you can think of jazz as like loose, improvisational. Yeah. So you have to work within the parameters of like being so together. Yeah. It's almost like Baroque. And it it's is like, very, very Baroque. Listen to the different horn lines yeah. all moving at the same. <laughs> Kidori is a beast on that trombone. Yeah. He will, he's... <laughs> I mean, I feel like his attitude would probably be like, what am I going to do? Not yeah. fucking blow on this I'm as hard as I can? I'm fucking Kid Ori. Yeah. I'm going to slide this trombone all over this, this stage. Slide into your goddamn DMs, <laughs> aka the mailbox yes. in this time. Um, he, when uh, Louis takes uh, Joe Oliver's place in Kid Ori's band, he says that they, they're so good that um, during funeral parades, they get encores, <laughs> uh, which is Another one, intense. another death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Around this time, he meets a girl named Daisy Parker. Mm-hmm. They fall in love. Uh-huh. Um, he meets her at the Honky Tonk. Great. He, uh, they have a moment alone, and he, he says, when she undressed, she pulled off a pair of sides, artificial hips she wore to give herself a good figure. What? I thought to myself, hmm, as much as I've been admiring this chick and her shape, here she comes bringing me a pair of water wings. What? Water wings? Today's like fake ass is yesterday's sides. Sides. Oh my god, a fake ass. A fake, yeah. A fake, fake hips. Yeah, that's amazing. The style. She, she thought. I mean, he, he was kind of like joking about it, but she's like, I feel like I'm too skinny, and like the look yeah. right now is curvaceous. I, wow, that's that's amazing. I mean, I guess it's kind of like a a, a fucking. It's like a, a waist. It's a like the bustle. waist trainer. Yeah, it's like a waist trainer. The waist trainer and the flat tummy tees. Yeah, it's yeah. tail as old as time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, she's twenty one. He's eighteen. She already has an old man. Um, <laughs> sure. But they, you know, they're kind of sneaking around behind his back. Okay. Um, he says, <laughs> "I wouldn't say she was." Beautiful but dumb, because she was pretty clever and really knew how to make money. But she was very jealous. So okay, he's got issues. I wouldn't with Daisy. say I wouldn't say she's beautiful but dumb, because she was beautiful and smart and smart and crafty and crafty. Um, she, she, I think he was trying I, to say that like maybe she was a little bit beautiful but dumb, but mm, she was street smart, street just smart. like maybe kind of like emotionally dumb. All right, um, that's how he described her, but. Once again, like the environment is just, it's not, you know, you got to do what you got to do. He, there's an incident where he is talking to another woman at a funeral. Um, That seems to be the primary social activity of the day. Um, He, Daisy sees him talking to the woman. You you coming to the Bennett funeral on Thursday? Nah, I got the Jones funeral to do then. But will I see see you at Hampton funeral on Friday? No, no, no. I'm double booked Friday. I'm I'm doing uh, Johnson's and Clark's funerals. Yeah, what what about Saturday? Oh, I don't know. I got Uh, funerals all day Saturday. No, I I mean, Henry's got a TB, so I think he's uh, he's close. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm probably Saturday. I'm going to put a hold on that. Yeah. Um, so he was he's talking to another lady at a funeral. Daisy notices. She gets a hold of <laughs> his doing your casual funeral flirt. Yeah. Um he's he's not a plaster saint, as he said. She takes his brand new Stetson hat and cuts it to ribbons with the razor. No, not his Stetson hat. I his we we like to Stetson hat. Uh, no. Yeah. And he says he it, that he says that was the hat in those days. My God, did that burn me up. <laughs> 
Oh don't no! Mess with another man's hat. You do not. Not a man is fully naked without his hat. Mm-hmm. He he had to get he had to keep playing, so he borrowed someone else's hat. <laughs> There's not an option yes. to play without a hat. He refuses to go on stage without a hat. Can you? I mean, how do you feel about the fact that Amir, at this point, sixty years ago, fifty years ago, you would not be caught dead in person in public without a hat? Well. Uh, as someone who who is uh, having <laughs> increasingly thinning hair as I uh, enter my thirties, uh, I can get why we, why I would uh, appreciate a mandatory social enforcement of that. Do you think that's why it lasted so long? Maybe is that like guys were like, no, 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 this is good. No, it is, no, we should always have hats on. And then no, get, it's cool. And then guys with like, like a lot of hair, like yeah, come on, sixty like, percent of the guys in the room are like, yeah, 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 hats are good. Yeah, hats. Let's do that. It was at the annual hat council. Yeah. In um in Chattanooga, Tennessee, of yeah. course, yeah, at the old um the old uh der- Derby House, <laughs> the, the the Derborium, yeah, the, the old old Derborium, and um every year a hundred men, two from each state, yes. uh, two delegates would get together and they would decide. And hey, reliably, guys. about fifty five to sixty percent of them would be like, yeah, let's do, keep doing hats. Yeah, it was mostly you know there was a cocktail hour and then um past past apps or d'oeuvres. And um and then it would get down to business and one of the, the lead hatmen would say, uh, fellas, I gotta ask this year. We still doing hats? Still doing hats? Yes. Yes. I. Yes. And then somewhere along the line it, it tipped. I think whoever developed the first uh voluntarily fully shaved head uh, uh style. <laughs> yeah. Um So the the rock in two thousand uh like ten. 10. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was the first he invented uh, voluntary no, I mean, baldness. The, some some genius in like 1952 was like, wonder if I just take it all off. And then I wouldn't have any hair. And then people wouldn't. And it took a while to ca- catch on. Yeah. It, people would ask like, D- wait, hey, do you? And he'd be like, no. No. But you. No, it's no. a choice. It's a totally a choice. I'm choosing to be like this. It's you cool. Just, I'm just a cool guy. Yes, But yesterday you had. No, a- I'm just a cool guy and I chose to take all my hair out. It has nothing to do with every, anything else. I mean that's that's just true I guess yeah you are a cool guy. Um anyway so hats she this woman Daisy disrespected Louis's hat and he won't stand for it. Um so he goes home after he plays cuz he'll never not play. He's got to play his horn. Got to play that horn. Um he goes home, she follows him. She starts throwing bricks at him. Um on the street. It's okay if you hit me just don't hurt the horn. <laughs> I hope the horn was at least in a case at this point. He throws one brick back that hits her in the tummy. Oh, no. Someone calls the cops. Louis runs away. And he said, you know what happens in domestic disputes? Whoever is there gets arrested. Oh, God. So Daisy got arrested. Um, and this is kind of like the beginning of the end. They last a little while longer, but I think they basically realized Yeah, well, that, like, it, 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 once you're throwing bricks at each other, it's not a great place. It's not good. Hard to come back from. Uh, yeah. They, uh, he says, if a... So he she doesn't have a lot of like book learning is what he says. And mm-hmm. he, he says, if a person is real ignorant and has no learning at all, that person is always going to be jealous, evil and hateful, which well, I, I see where he's coming from. He seemed to associate lack of lack of uh, formal education mm-hmm. with um, uh, perhaps a, a lack of perspective. OK. I don't know. Anyway, the. <laughs> It's a it it ends. He I think I looked. He has he gets married another three times <laughs> over the course of his life. Excellent, um, very good. Which is just so funny because I feel like when you hear of women getting divorced in like mm-hmm. 
the 1910s or 20s or 30s, it's always like shocking. No, there but are guys pre- can get divorced as many times as they there want. There are like a half dozen hyper famous uh, mid 20th century m- movie star women mm-hmm. who could pull off the thrice or or force divorce. Yes. Uh, uh, look, but yes, it it doesn't seem to be the the per, the the successful purview of of women. Yes, um. So Louis is he's hustling. He's having some some marital issues. He uh, we're getting toward the end of the book at this point. So this book only basically covers until he is about twenty two years old. Until until he he breaks. Until he breaks, he breaks good. Um, he shares an anecdote at the near the way end of the book where he basically makes a deal with his mom to go drinking at every bar in New Orleans. Okay. Or every at least every bar in like their their section of town. Their um, uh, parish? Their I parish, perhaps. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know why. So he, he says, he's like, I can't hold my liquor. I feel like I'm just not very experienced at, at drinking. And his <laughs> mom is mom like, let me fix that. Training? Yes. His mom is like, we're going, like this will be your trial by fire. Like we're going to go out and we're going to go to every spot ever and um, wow. see how you hold up. She's She's a cool mom. She's not a regular mom. She's a cool mom. She's a cool mom. Um, the night is is very fun, and he manages to stay in step with Pace her. Nice. Um, but he says at the end of the night, his mom's name is Mayanne. At the end of the night, after Mayanne had taken half a dozen steps, she fell flat on her face. I went over to pick her up. As I leaned over, I fell right on top of her. Everybody in the place broke out laughing. I mean, that sounds funny. Just getting drunk. Just getting drunk with your mom. Just stories about getting drunk with your mom. But he pa- he passes whatever weird test his mom has has set for him. Um, he uh, you have you have graduated. You have passed the Armstrong liquor ordeal. <laughs> you now have one respect, one, one respect. mom respect. You have earned one respect from your mom. Yes. Well, See you next weekend. Next time, any anyone who's listening to this is in New Orleans. Make sure you go to every bar in a parish and get one drink there yeah. and claim you're doing it for Louis Armstrong. Yes. He references a, some like a ginger drink that kind of sounded amazing. Um, is it like that thing that is becoming re re popular from New England? Scrap Switchel, Scrapple. That's a different thing. Is that Switchel? That's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. That's of. a beautiful like a poor cash from <laughs> rural Pennsylvania, right? Yes, yes. Someone yes. please Switchel. Switchel is like the the apple cider vinegar drink. Yeah, it's like apple cider vinegar and like herbal herbal tonics and i guess you mix it with alcohol and it's maybe it's like a physic (laughs) (laughs) i swear like all this stuff like whatever ginger thing he's describing i'm sure there is a video on some wellness sites instagram that describes making basically exactly this yes um speakeasy level shit i'm sorry i'm just looking it up because the i the ginger thing oh jamaica ginger 15 (laughs) cents a bottle um, that drink gave you just what you would expect. It knocked you flat on your tail. His man's eyes were getting glassy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever this is, it yeah. sounded kind of amazing. Give me some uh, Jamaican ginger, Jamaican please. Ginger. Um, he now toward the end of the book, he kind of catches some some breaks in the form of getting able. He's able to play on steamers like steamships going yeah. up the fucking river. He's working the cruise circuit. Yes. Um, with his Fate Marables band. Um, I don't know if you Good want to look name. up Fate, Fate Marable. Marable. Fate Marable. I would recommend looking uh looking this up, um, because there is a picture associated with this YouTube video. This is uh <laughs> Fate Marable's Society Syncopators. Ooh, 
a song called Frankie. Uh, this sounds like it would sound good on a boat. There's a picture. The still from this YouTube is indeed a whole like 20 person band sitting in the, the, the what appears to be the deck of a steamship. Hell yeah. I'm reading. I'm on the same page. It was the only record that he made and the only opportunity to hear what this important band really sounded like. Frankie and Johnny. It's so crazy that songs that birthed basically like almost all of modern music in a way are so undocumented. Yes. It's nuts. But in another way, it's amazing that all this stuff is, is documented. documented. Because you got to think that some of this recording technology, I mean, you got to know that some of this recording technology is like extremely cutting edge at the time. And the fact that mm-hmm. uh, people were so enthused to go around and record all sorts of Americana music from the popular forms at the time to Ooh, a nice little uh, breakdown. Hell yeah. Oh, there's a little banjo on this. It's bad boy. Um, that there is so much documentation of all the different forms of uh, American uh, popular and folk music of the time, mm-hmm. I, I think is is impressive. Yeah, totally. Um, he They play on the steamers, um, the Sydney and the St. Paul. And he says, as they go up the river, he says, uh, we were the first colored band to play most of the towns at which we stopped. Which, think about how intense that is. That sounds extremely intense. Like, you're on a boat, you go to a town, and they might have never seen black people play music I, before. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's, a, there's a, uh, a polite way to put this, but it's like the first band that, throw, that comes through is a novelty. Mm-hmm. I feel like people only get racist once the bands start moving into town. You know what I'm saying? I think, yeah, I do know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, right. It's like, it's, that. it's cool. If you guys get back on the boat, he does say that sometimes people, you know, treat, uh, he, he basically says like people, white people treat them poorly or sometimes they're hostile until they start playing. And then they're like, Oh, this band rules. Um, oh, this is benef- This is benefiting me with fun. Yeah. Now I enjoy it. Yeah. And also, Louis was like, yeah, um, none of this really bothered me because I don't know if you remember, but I'm from Louisiana. <laughs> so like whatever, whatever bullshit we I'm got dealing the with worst in white Missouri. People there are, yeah. yeah. Well, like as you know, the further up I go in the river, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I came from some pretty, no, pretty I, hardcore I get shit. It. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but he says that he, they basically, they killed it everywhere they went. Um, he f- is finally making extra money, which he literally just doesn't know how to spend because he's on a boat all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> he'll just go to like five and dime stores. That's and a get good trinkets. reason to do uh, cru- cruise shows. Mm-hmm. That is a great reason. Can't spend your money on the cruise. He says, I was the happiest kid musician in the world. Um, and so he's talking about money and he has a bandmate uh, on one of those steamers who was like very miserly. Like sometimes he would just eat an apple a day and he was putting all of his money into like land, I think like a, a cot- Oh, it was like a cotton um, crop. Like he had thrown all he invested in He's speculating on cotton futures and the cotton got all eaten up by, you know, ball weevils or whatever oh the, the bug is. And this guy has been starving himself in order to save money and he's got nothing and he's staring into the water. Um, and Louis notices this. And so what Louis says is I'll probably never be rich, but I will be a fat man. <laughs> uh, I never deprived of myself of things that I thought absolutely necessary, but there are a lot of things I never cared for, such as a flock of suits. 
I have seen fellows with as many as 25 suits at one time. Too and, many suits. And what good does that do? The moths eat them up before they can get full use out of them. Good, good advice. Too many suits. I, I thought that was worth sharing. Five suits, tops. Five suits? Five suits. Five suits. Tops. Any more than that, and the moths will get them. Yes. How, how, how can a man wear more than five suits? At, this, at once? It's <laughs> a suit for every day of the week. And what, you're wearing weekend suits too? What's your life like, guy? Or maybe one weekend suit. How about one for Saturday, one for Sunday? Two different weekend suits. Two weekdays, and then one that's a more relaxed, could be, you know, yeah, like more, more of a pajama-like. Of a linen, yeah. yeah. And then take two days off. Yeah. And if you got enough money for five suits, just don't work the other two days. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I just I thought it was worth sharing because I thought that was very like not quite Marie Kondo like advice, um, not totally monastic and minimalist, but just kind of like don't spend money on things that you don't like want to spend money on. True. And also don't the things that you do want to spend money on. Don't get too many of them because yeah. moths are going to eat them. Yeah. So take that and use it in your yeah, life. Don't let moths eat your shit. Don't let moths eat your shit. And don't starve yourself so you can invest in cotton. In cotton yeah. It's not going to work out. Or Bitcoin or you yeah. know, whatever. Don't let bull weevils eat all those Bitcoins. <laughs> you know someone's going to come up with like a bull weevil virus. Yeah. Hackers like virus. Anyway, um, so the, the river boats are really, uh, a, I think, a positive experience for, for Louis. He also says, he, he has a paragraph where he's talking about white people. And he's basically just like, I've never had any problem with white people. Like, I love white people and white people love me. And I was like kind of doing a little bit of research and it sounds like, he, how do I put this? Very political or overt about being black. Right. Um, even when he got really famous, mm-hmm. um, which kind of reminds me of like watching OJ Made in America where right. o, like, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Yeah. Um, and I like that was clear in this book too, is that like he, and it, maybe it goes along with um, not wanting to complain about going to child jail for three years and yes. just being like, no, like life's good. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> There's a lot to like, I don't, I don't want to read into anything, but you know, and obviously the way that people process these experiences or even choose to depict how they have process, processed these experiences, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, are the result of a lot of intense and complicated, uh, experiences. Yes. But I don't know. I mean, I'm getting a sense of a little kind of, uh, uh um, selected depi- depiction of, yeah. of his experiences, perhaps, Perhaps as a way to justify, maintain the status that he has achieved, uh, even just mm-hmm. even if it's just subliminally, mm-hmm. when he's writing it. Yes, the back description of the book they describe it. His life is mythical. I yes. think that's a good. Yeah, as we were talking about those Dickensian mm-hmm. or um, uh, um, like Horatio Alger uh, mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. Um, stories yeah. that are so resonant but also pernicious to to americans mm-hmm. of like you know this is kind of like col- college level like race in america textual analysis <laughs> okay. but you know are often used to justify the success explain the success of certain marginalized people and mm-hmm. justify the lack of success of other marginalized sure. people yeah you know yeah that they didn't bootstraps hard enough right and, or that they complained too much yes exactly. god forbid um about going to going to jail when you're 12. Yeah, yeah. No, um, that just made you a good horn player and being a good horn player got you success and because you have become a successful person, you were not 
the victim of mm-hmm. these, uh, you know, the horrible things that you then sweep under the rug. Yeah. And say, I don't have any problem with white people. There is a certain way he he does kind of elide, uh, is, I don't know if that's the right word, um, more complex analysis of these things by being like, man, I just wanted to play my horn. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, went to jail and that sucked. I just want to play my horn. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, you know, I... I pimped out a girl to get a little extra pocket money, but it was just because I wanted to play my horn. Yeah. Like everything is sort of, um, the the, the edges are are a little bit filed, filed down in order to support this kind of mythical rise. It's all a a means to a horn. Yeah. Because he's very, I mean, he's very humble. Like he's Mm -hmm. very, he's not like, I'm the shit and I'm very good at trumpet. (laughs) He's just like, no, I just want to play. (laughs) I play trumpet well. I play trumpet (laughs) Very well. You shut up and listen to me tell you how well I play this fucking trumpet. <laughs> I'm not. Am I going to play it? No. no. I'm going to write about playing I'm gonna trumpet. I'm going to write about playing it and I'm going to talk about it. You're going to like it. I've been playing trumpet well my entire life and now you're going to read about it. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's. But it, that's like how you want a guy like Louis Armstrong to talk about trumpet mm-hmm. at least a little bit. Yeah. You want like the chapter titled trumpet. I do it the best. Yeah, trumpet. I live it every day. Yeah. <laughs> I live inside my trumpet. The um, I'm just reading a blurb on the back of this book where it, this match is from the Baltimore Sun. This matchlessly vivid book tells how the bastard child of a part-time prostitute lifted himself out of direst poverty to become the most influential figure in the history of American music. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like a neat little bow? Yes. But it's so much more, yeah. so much weirder than that. He watches two women slice each other to death. Slice each other to death. Yeah. Which is like, maybe he trumpeted well enough to get out of that, but that's not not a trauma that, you know. He's he surrounded clearly, by yeah. death. He grew up in. And he, then went on to write, what a wonderful world. There's like, you know. Yeah. There's there's a part of this that, uh, you know, and, and we're obviously reading into this in the, the, the 2018, like fully psychoanalyzed uh, culture. Yeah. That we know, but yeah. you know, there there can't not be a part of this that is like compartmentalized and pa- packed away and justified in his own mind, and specifically justified to other people mm-hmm. via the work that he has done to achieve a place like success and status in society. Yeah, there, I'm just remembering another little piece where he was just like talking about all of his friends that he and like musicians that he jammed with throughout the years, and he, I can't remember the name of the person, but. He's like, oh, yeah, he was a fine, fine player. Um, imagine what he would have done if he hadn't gotten murdered by a prostitute. <laughs> and it's just like, that's just like, like, we just talked about, we just talked about 50 Cent just being like, you know, like ending another guy's life was nothing to him. Yeah, like yeah. the price of life was cheap. Yeah. And it, that, this is the same. You can't, it, it's impossible to, to understand at yeah. the end of the day. And the, I think the more lurid and absurd it is, the harder it is to make it seem like something other than mm-hmm. uh, a Dick, a Dickens right. story. And then, people. yeah. And then the fairy taleization of it, then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, only skewers to, to, or only um, succeeds in, in, um, I don't know, abstracting. Yeah. And, and like, uh, um, yeah, re- removing the any part of those very real mm-hmm. experiences from his then current reality. Yeah, it's an odd, it's an odd little book. Let's we can wrap it up oh, yeah. when he. This book ends with him getting um, sent for by uh, King King Joe Oliver, who is in Chicago uh, in 1922. Joe Oliver says, "Come up to Chicago. It rules here. It's cold." <laughs> um, 
the, this is Louis's level of like perspective. He so he takes a train up to Chicago. He is so like country that when Joe is like, "Here's your apartment. It's got a bedroom and a private bath." And Louis's like, "What's a private bath?" Oh my god. And Joe is like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "What do you mean what what's a private bath?" And he's like, "Are you like are you kidding?" And Louis's like, "When I grew up, we shared a wash tub in the backyard with like 10 other kids." What what's a private bath? Like a room to bathe in a bathtub? Do you think he got lo- lonely the first time he pooped by himself? <laughs> Taking a physic all alone. <laughs> God, he had to take all those physics and po- oh no. Yeah, man. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. I don't like that. Yeah. So that I mean that's he's so he's super young. Pooping. He's still like he just like came out of it in extreme right? poverty, and now he's in Chicago with his own his own bath bathroom. He um he's he says at the end he said I'd hit the big time. I was up north with the greats. I was playing with my idol, the King Joe Oliver. My boyhood dream had come true at last. And of course, this was literally just the beginning of his of his then yeah, continued rise, which I think feels authentic to me. That like every every achievement is mm-hmm. like the greatest thing ever, right? Because what, like, what else? What what else do you have to compare it to? Yeah, and so every every new mountain is just like hell yeah, love to love, blow my horn, love to blow my horn, just full of that trumpet jelly always. <laughs> That's from a really good click hole quiz about jazz. Yes. <laughs> that blow that trumpet jelly. Friend of the pod, Matthew Perpetua, put me on to. Yeah. You got to be full of that trumpet jelly. You're full of that trumpet jelly. Um, really, really weird little book. Yeah, yeah. It's not the only book he had writ- wrote about himself. I think there were a few others. So we, we can... maybe we can catch up with the continued adventures of of Lewis or yeah. maybe Louis Armstrong. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. That sounds. That sounds. As we were just talking about, and to wrap up, it do, it does seem like it. It fits so well within the neat morality narratives of, uh, you know, um, America always. But also specifically, you know, mid-century America and writing about early 20th century America Mm -hmm. that, what is the right word? Skeptical? Mm -hmm. Am I skeptical of his relaying of his own thing? And yet, it's his word for it. Yeah, that's, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't, I actually didn't realize this is not his first book. He wrote one called Swing That Music and, um... That's that was about his like later life, and so this is kind of like let's the, take it this back. Is the sequel to uh, yeah to swing that music yeah Pre- the Fre- prequel <laughs> filling out the uh, the Phantom Menace liter- literary Louisverse <laughs> literary Louisverse. It's I mean it is kind of funny reading something that is so much earlier is that like you can kind of see how these other memoirs interconnect when, you know, a band opens for another band of like Guns N' Roses opening for Aerosmith and uh-huh. uh, Joe Joe Perry giving out uh, luggage and you hear yeah. about that with slashes. So like, it's kind of funny that this is just totally, mm-hmm. totally separate, but it makes me want to read more, more jazz, jazz tings. Yeah. So we can hear about that. All the, all the, yeah, the, the, the Jasmine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll pick up more of these later on. Um, we, this this came specifically after a, a, a Twitter user requested that we do some jazz. Yeah, I think that that person was more specifically interested in like fifties, sixties, seventies, like Miles bebop stuff like that. Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Charles Mingus. Mingus. 
Which we'll get to. We'll get to. Yeah. Um, this one was just the one that caught Molly's eye first. And it was the one that was most immediately available, available at, at the, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Public, Public Library. library. Support your libraries. Mm-hmm. Support your local libraries. <laughs> Make them get memoirs of famous jasmine. Because the, the only other thing I will say is that these books, these kind, this particular category of memoir is shockingly hard to come by. Swing That Music right now is on it, on hardcover on Amazon for $95. Jesus. So these are not in very good print. Um, so why? I don't know. Yeah. You tell me. Uh, <laughs> you tell me. Well, I think maybe we can all guess why. Yeah. Well, because it's the more obscure memoir of a <laughs> jazz musician who's been dead for 50 years when did when did louis armstrong he, died, pass away? he he lived a long a long life he lived until 1971 he was 69 nice nice um which is pretty pretty good for literally like you know all yeah. my friends are dead push me to the edge <laughs> he maybe that's funny he in a, a century later a person in his very uh same yeah uh circumstance would go the all my friends are dead push me to the edge route and he went the what a wonderful world. Yeah, like, all my friends are dead. What a wonderful world. <laughs> Maybe you didn't like any of these guys. <laughs> well, there did seem to be a lot of stabbings. Um, yeah. Well, that's maybe this is a shorter one, but that's about where this one wraps up. Oh, one more thing. Uh, emails from fans. Oh, we get emails. Yeah, we're like a normal podcast. We get emails from from people. Yeah. If you do that, um, we will. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe we'll read them on uh, on air if they're interesting. But this is from a uh, uh, listener, Andrew. Uh, I'm not going to read this in whole, but because most of it is just uh, wonderful compliments for our glowing, uh, in glowing support of our uh, wildly high quality podcast. Compies. Um, but Andrew, we will consider doing the Cure Memoir. That's actually a great uh, uh, one to vary up some of our uh, upcoming uh, issues. A, a good uh, 80s act would be good. Let me guess. It's called Pictures of You. Ooh. What yeah. do you think it's called? Um, Just like heaven. Yes. Sorry, I keep guessing for you. So rude. So unbelievably rude. What's it called? Cured. Cured. It kind of gives me the the scent of like bacon, like hickory. Yes. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like cured. The meaty tail. <laughs> the meaty of the tail iconic band of the iconic gothy goth pop band. Uh, so yes, we will put that on the stack. And as well, I did a, an AMA the other day on the Chapo subreddit and got a lot of good uh, suggestions from that that we will also be considering directly. Um, and also, Andrew, I promise you we'll watch The Shining. We we'll just got to find a good day when we're uh, ready to get strung out on horror. Yeah, um, we need to finish all four seasons of uh, History Channel's fantastic reality show forged in fire yes it's like chopped but for making swords and knives you know what's so funny is that you could also call that show chopped yes you could but they why didn't they do that they should have just called it chopped and spelled it funny they should have called it chopped two colon knives chopped two chop chop or american chopper oh my god Fortune Fire sounds like someone's third choice. All right. Well, we're, we're, we're uh, just, this is going, we got to stop before this becomes a Fortune Fire fan cast. I would, I would be happy to do a, create a subcast uh, about Fortune Fire with you. Anyway, <laughs> is there anything that you would like to plug, Molly? Um, I have nothing. I have nothing to plug. You have nothing to plug. Nothing to Why plug. Why do I have to plug all your stuff? Visit all your, 
cool videos on the Molly Zone on Visit Instagram. Visit the Molly. It's at the Molly Zone on Instagram. T H E M O L L Y Z O N E. I've I post videos of things that will bring um, tears to your eyes. Tears of joy. Tears to your ears and tears. smiles to your eyes. Uh, uh, tears for fears. <laughs> tears for fears. Um, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Say What Again. As always, um, find me on tour with the Chapo Trap House podcast. Woo. Go to chapotraphouse.com slash tour to find those dates. That's going to be in just like 10 days. And Thank- buy, buy the Chapo book, too. Buy the Chapo book. It's I read good it, and, and it's good. It's yeah. good. That honestly does not benefit me at all. <laughs> but I like I like the people I work for. They're they're good boys, and they wrote a good book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so buy it. I uh, think that reading good books benefits us all. You know what? In the in that the concept of reading books is tangentially related to this podcast. Yes, it's good to read. Oh, and perhaps our very next episode will be of interest to uh, Chapo fans because it will intersect with the extended Chapoverse. Uh, there you go. But I will say no more on that. I, I will say that next episode will be a, a do's. A yeah. do's for you're, sure. You, you finished the book. You're ready. You're uh-huh. excited to talk yeah. about it. Great. I won't, say, I won't say more, but it's going to be a wild, wild ride. Wonderful. So that should be a uh, banger. Uh, but until then, you can follow us on Twitter at and IntroPod or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud is, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod remember to subscribe to us on itunes and you should rate and review us too yeah please 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 um we've gotten a few more rates and reviews recently and it's it's always nice to see those i apparently it helps people find the podcast but really the only way to actually get people to find the podcast is Tell a friend. Tell your friends. If you don't have friends, that's okay. If they've okay. all been stabbed. If you all of your friends have been s- stabbed and their hats have been stabbed and as well. And you're triple booked for funerals this weekend. Just mm-hmm. tell everyone at those funerals yeah. that you have a fantastic new podcast that talks about playing music at funerals. Yeah. Go to um go to a star a starred bucks or other public watering hole and just yell it. And then get an Ariana Grande latte. <laughs> I assume it's delicious. Full of Sweetener. That's her album name. Okay, I'll stop. Bye. Nice. <laughs> Tied it all together. Take us, take us home. Take us away. Well, we'll catch you in two weeks on another uh, episode of And Introducing. Somebody in my uh, Spotify like friends playlist playing the Sims 2 theme by Mark Mothersbaugh. He did Sims music? He did everything, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. You you love Mark Mothersbaugh before you even knew who he was. I feel like I can. There's like the kind. There's a really peppy string. Um, it's like. And you're like, build this house, gonna big it real huge. And I put a cheat code, so I got $9 million. <laughs> that was him? Oh my God, I murdered so many people to his songs. Cool. <clears throat> Ready? Ready.